Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Forum Podcast. My name is Dan Sardinas, and once again, I'm joined by my good friends Shane Swayze and Nick Potts. How you doing, guys? Doing pretty good. Glad to be here. Yes, yes. yes. Just an interesting question uh, that Shane just brought up a couple moments ago. Uh, Shane, why don't you ask us the question? Okay, I'll pose it to you gentlemen and see where we're at. Uh, The question really is, in this uh, spirit of Easter week, peeps, are we for or against them? Well, you guys are my peeps. I mean, uh, I'm for you guys. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) I don't know, that just came to me. I'm incredibly sweet, Dan. Um, (laughs) Peeps, so you're talking about the marshmallow... (laughs) Marshmallow bunnies. A little squishy in the center. Um, <laughs> marshmallow, the bunnies, the bug eyes, whatever. Well, squeeze them. <laughs> I mean, we'd, let's not limit it to just bunnies. If you have not been around the peep section, there are chicks. Chicks. Oh, wow. There's, there are any form of different shapes. Yeah, there's in, multiple animals now. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I, do you, uh, where are your def- thoughts? Define four. <laughs> like, they're your, go- they're, they're your go to treat. Go to Easter treat. That that okay. You're not repulsed by the sight to, of them. To eat? Yes. No, definitely not. I'm totally against. Totally to, against. To burn and watch them like melt away like a heathen. Yeah, I love that. I think it's really funny. Yeah. I question. I mean, really, are you even reformed if you don't <laughs> like peeps? To be honest, I now, mean, how, gentlemen, what's the connection there? What's the connection there? Gent- wisdom, biblical oh, oh, wisdom. Um, you like peeps? Oh, I mean, I hope there I are know some if we can people. Be friends anymore. There are some people listening now. There's going to be some people with pitchforks, I'm sure, <laughs> to spear the peeps. But um, there are going to be some people who are in my corner, and I, uh, I give props to you already because I think we are a small minority. But I think peeps are amazing. The I think peeps are amazing <laughs> in many ways. They they got that wonderful texture, a little bit of that sugary that, outside coating. That's called grittiness. You can yeah. you can easily put away a whole pack without really feeling the weight of any of those that's, calories. Well, let's that's do, called gluttony. Let's do this, guys. In week <laughs> in week one of our podcast, and I'm not sure if Shane knows this yet. In week one of our podcast, we put up a poll. Uh, that you can go check out the results on on that episode uh, link on the website um, about who has the best beard out of the seven of us. <laughs> oh, Shane! And, and I wasn't even included in yeah, this. Yeah, so go check go check out the results on that. But I think we should do another poll here. Are you are you the listeners for peeps or against peeps? Let's see how many of you. You are need with, to be on my side. Are with Shane? Listeners, are you with Nick? We and are I? four peeps and four okay. beards. So okay, <laughs> all right, so. Uh, before we move on to our main topic, though, what is your go-to candy? I'll start with mine. Mine is the Starburst jelly beans. Same here. I just oh. finished a bag yesterday. Love it. Yes. I love it. Those are the best. The Starburst jelly beans. How about you, Shane? Well, are peeps off the table? <laughs> Come on. Yes. Peeps are off the table. They have to be. Okay. Um, and we're talking only Easter candy. Yeah. Yes. Wow. You know, that's just so many delicious options. But I do agree. Now that you planted that in in my mind, the Starburst it's jelly beans really are. Good. But I'm really a, a fan of any of the jelly beans. Uh, Harry Potter jelly beans. The you know, bots. they they got some weird ones where they started <laughs> making them taste like like smelly shoes yeah, and, right. and, and no grass thanks. and stuff. I don't know why that was a thing. Uh, but I mean, I think pretty much any jelly bean. And again, I'm going to be in the minority. Even the black licorice jelly beans, ooh, spot no. on. No. So there's. 
Now, I'll, now I'm getting to an I'll even give, smaller minority of people who love peeps and black licorice. I'll give you all of my black licorice you're jelly beans. A, you're a friend. It's truly <laughs> loving your neighbor when you yes. sacrifice <laughs> like that for me. Well, guys, let's let's go to something that really matters here. Yeah. But that was a lot of fun. Let's go, <laughs> yes. let's go to our main topic of the day. And once again, our main topic uh, this week uh, are, is has a featured article written by none other by Shane Swayze. And so make sure you go check out that article. And the article is entitled, Why the Resurrection Matters Today. Um, so we know, guys, we're now 2,000 plus years past this glorious event on that Sunday morning when our Lord Jesus victoriously arose bodily from the dead. And um, this is the, the pinnacle and the cornerstone of our faith, the foundation of our faith. And so... But now we're 2,000 years past it, and over 2,000 years, there's been great critics uh, that have questioned it, that have denied it, that have tried to invalidate the importance of it. And I want to spend some time here because always around this time of year, there's weird people that post all sorts of crazy stuff uh, that attack the resurrection. And so I want to hone in on why we believe the resurrection is so important. So let's just start there. Why is the resurrection so important? Well, first off, it's true. Uh, I mean, we don't say uh, one plus one equals two is not important. Uh, So in the same way, the resurrection being true automatically makes it important. Now, the question is more like, why is it significant to us? Like both individually and corporately, um, you know, and so on and so forth, um, which there's a theological uh, implication on that. Now, I would argue that there's theological implications behind one plus one equals two, but that's a different topic. But, uh, but there is a, a grander picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ um, being kind of the pinnacle of not only history, um, I mean, why are we in 2020 right now? Well, because this is approximately 2020 years after the birth of Christ. It's called history because it's his story. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the etymology of the word. Uh, so you're saying it, it, everything hinges on the resurrection? Everything. Everything. What do you say, Shane? And I think that is where we need to start before we even understand the significance of why it matters today is to understand that it is a historical event. It really happened. We It really happened that there were eyewitnesses that he appeared to the disciples. He appeared to hundreds, 500. it says. Yeah. Um, At the same time. Correct. And that um, these events have been historically validated. Our faith is really based upon this event. And I think in many ways we've lost sight that this is a historical event, a historical truth, a historical reality that we are basing our faith in. Christianity is not true because we feel like it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true because Jesus Christ rose from the dead Mm. after he was crucified on the cross and condemned by Pontius Pilate. Those are historical truths and realities that have been attested to, that have been claimed, and that have maintained that testimony for the past 2,000 years. Mm. Yeah, and just to be a bit more specific, because 
uh, you know, we do have, you know, some people on the liberal end of theology uh, that will argue the resurrection happened. Um, however, uh, what we say when we mean that, that means there was no physical body in that grave on Resurrection Sunday. Right. This was not a spiritual resurrection. Correct. It's not a metaphorical resurrection. There was no body in there. Mm-hmm. That body walked out. Christ mm-hmm. defeated death. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when uh, Jesus himself said to Thomas, here, touch my hands and put your hand in my side, um, flesh and bone mm-hmm. would not say that. Mm-hmm. And that has the bodily aspect of the resurrection um, doesn't just make for a good story, correct? But it has uh, implications for the future. Yes, uh, because the way the story ends is what is that the dead come to life. The There's the, it's not just Jesus who is resurrected. It's not Jesus yeah. who comes back from the dead. It's all those in him yes. who re- now reign with him Correct. on the new heavens and new earth forever and ever. Amen. And so, and so if Jesus were to remain dead, then, we would, then there might be an argument for spiritual floaty existence forever, which is sure. yeah. not right. as fun as a bodily resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in, in uh, verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Mm. Yep. And the Apostle Paul writing. Yeah, the and Jesus himself in John chapter 11, uh, where he is going to Lazarus's tomb, and, uh, you know, where he's talking with Mary just before, just before he calls Lazarus out, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jesus says, you know, uh, you know, don't don't worry. You know, he's going to be raised from the dead. And, you know, uh, was it Mary or Martha? I can't remember. Mary that was there, right? Who, who was talking with Jesus right at the tomb? It was one of the sisters, yeah. whatever. <laughs> and um, and, you know, she says, you know, yes, I know, Lord, you know, he's going to be raised at the end of the age. And Jesus says, no, no, you're not listening. I am am the resurrection mm-hmm. whoa whoa right. like that's blasphemous mm-hmm. and then what does he do he calls Lazarus forth and then says roll away the stone uh, the stone and take off his bandages mm-hmm. you know just in John's natural you know construct of his gospel he pairs a teaching with a, a miracle and Jesus is validated mm. that he is the resurrection so, yes, he physically rose from the dead, too. Right. But we, in him, will also. Now, let's also go back to the beginning, the garden, yeah. where why is there even a resurrection needed? It's because death entered the story. Death entered the picture. And the, what God had warned Adam and Eve, yet you shall surely die. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, beginning in verse 25. He says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Isn't that beautiful? And so if there is no bodily resurrection, there is no conclusion, in a sense, to what happened in the garden. Um, it, it, 
death is destroyed once and for all, forevermore. Uh, so if Jesus is not dead, there's no finality to, to the to the to the sin that has caused death, separation, uh, judgment from God because because of our rebellion. Right, and we, I mean, as as Christians and even as as Reformed Christians, we spend a lot of time, and rightly so, but a lot of time focusing on the cross, Christ's work on the cross. His crucifixion, His sacrifice, bearing our sins, paying the penalty on our behalf, taking the wrath of God upon Himself as our substitute. But if the resurrection doesn't happen, Mm. then none of that means anything. Because any man can go to the cross. What made that unique and what made that true and and validated Christ's whole ministry was the fact that he rose from the dead and he conquered death. Because, I mean, C.S. Lewis puts forward the claim that Jesus is one of three things, and he says that he was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Mm -hmm. Well, he makes the claim that doing what Jesus said and proclaiming what he did He was either lying about the whole thing, he was a crazy man who was just maybe slightly uh, off his rocker and going around. Slightly. I mean, we we see stories in the news of people showing up in Walmarts and proclaiming that they're, you know, the son of God. So we've seen that play out. Or he's Lord. And the only way we can for sure deny those other two things is if we know that he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. Amen. We know because of that he yeah. is who he said he was. He is our Lord. Amen. And let, let's let's paint a picture here. So uh, uh, Jesus is called both the sacrifice and the high priest. So the high priest in the Old Testament, when he, when he slaughtered that sacrifice and he was taking the bowl of the blood and he pressed through that thick veil into the holy place and poured out the blood on that mercy seat. How do you know God accepted that sacrifice? That priest walked out. Mm. That he walked out alive. Mm -hmm. The same way was Jesus. Jesus walked out of that tomb alive. And that that showed that God accepted his sacrifice. We see in uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, it says that Christ died for our sins Mm -hmm. and was raised for our justification. He says elsewhere, you know, not only did he die, but more than that, he was also raised. Romans uh, uh, chapter 8, you know, verse like 33, 34, right in there. And, uh, you know, so so the resurrection is uh, not only the ultimate uh, doctrine of the Christian faith, uh, just theologically, but it's such a personal um, hope mm-hmm. that we have. And, you know, I, I think that might be your next section here, but, you know, uh, Romans 8, you know, kind of lays that out as well. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, the hope of the Christian is that what happened to Jesus on that morning yeah. will happen to us. Yes. Um, 
you know, our loved ones. I mean, that, that makes every funeral we've ever gone to for those who have been in Christ that much more um, bearable, that much more hopeful that this is not the end and, and, and that there is life to come because Jesus Christ has won. Now, you, you mentioned Romans 8. Romans 8, what is, what is Paul's argument there, and how does that tie to the resurrection? Sure. So, uh, so you know, Paul's, you know, overall argument, you know, Romans 1 through 3, you know, everyone's sinner. Everyone's deeply entrenched in sin. You know, uh, Romans 4. The whole world is guilty before God. Let every mouth be stopped. Yeah. Amen. Uh, you know, Romans 4 introduces faith. And this is kind of the, the seed that flourishes throughout not only Scripture, you know, starting with Genesis 3, uh, 15, but you see it starting to sprout a little bit in Genesis 15, uh, 17, 22, further and further. Uh, but you see it develop throughout, you know, Paul's argument and throughout Romans. And then, you know, we get to, you know, Romans 7, where Paul's like, oh, but I have faith, but I still feel guilty. What's going on? And then Romans 8, 1, it's like, whoa. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is now no condemnation. That's correct. Yes, there is right now. now. Right Not now. Not future. Correct. Right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so justification is a past tense mm. thing. Just You are just not waiting for justification to occur. Mm. Yeah, um, let's, let's emphasize that. Because yeah. people are going to be listening right now who do not feel that way at all, that do feel like uh, there is condemnation because of the things that I have done or Mm. the life that I'm living right now or the things (laughs) that I struggle with. And I think it should be emphasized, like Dan said, there is therefore now no condemnation. It's a beautiful reality. Now, that doesn't mean uh, you can't feel condemnation, sure, uh, but your feelings and objective reality, you know, may not be meshing there. And, mm-hmm. you know, whereas... <laughs> and again, our, our, our faith is not in feelings. Our faith Amen. is in a historical a reality. Yes. That's right. And, and honestly, like, like on an extremely practical theology side, this is actually why uh, the doctrine of justification by faith alone is actually vital for biblical counseling uh, for those who are depressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know... Why do I feel this way? Because our bodies are enslaved to sin still, yes. Mm-hmm. But there, for now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, furthering this argument, you know, uh, you know, Paul gets to, you know, our future glory. So, yes, now there is no condemnation, but there's something still yet to come mm-hmm. that is far better and greater and, you know, starting in verse 18, you know, for I consider that sufferings of the uh, present time are not worth comparing uh, with a glory that is to be revealed to us uh, for the uh, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility. Now, I'm going to pause there real quick. We, we see in science the second law of thermodynamics, which is, you know, the law of entropy. Things are slowly dying. And, you know, uh, the naturalistic materialists, the secularists will say, oh, you know, we, that's just because things die off. Well, not according to naturalism. Naturalism actually says that uh, you cannot create nor destroy matter. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed either. So... There's a contradiction in their worldview on that basis. Hmm. But Christians can answer that. 
we say, why are things dying off? Because all of creation was subjected to futility. Mm-hmm. Why? Because of man's sin. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's going to be a glorious return. Yeah. Uh, more than that, a better creation uh, that we see the bookend of, uh, of Scripture uh, starting in a garden and finishing in a garden. That's right. And I think that's a point that many it's lost on many Christians, I believe. It's not, it's not just that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's not only that we will be raised from the dead, yeah. but creation itself has yeah. experiences of resurrection yeah. so, where all things are made new. And Jesus yes. speaks of the renewal of all things yeah. uh, coming in. He's putting it all back together. So, so why is there, uh, you know, when uh, Revelation 21, uh, 4 and 5 says, you know, he will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Why does he say this? Well, because all those things that caused pain, all those things that caused suffering and crying and tears, they're abolished. Mm. They're done away with. Mm. And none of that can be true if Jesus is still dead. Exactly. If the tomb is occupied. Correct. Because it, it's almost like a logical order. Um, the creation cannot be resurrected until man is resurrected. Mm-hmm. And man cannot be resurrected until Christ is resurrected. Mm-hmm. Well, since Christ was resurrected, man will be resurrected. And man will be resurrected. Creation will be resurrected. And that's why he says in that passage that creation is groaning. Yes. Waiting for the unveiling. Like birth pains. The revealing of the sons of yeah. God. Yeah, because because creation knows what's coming. Yep. Amen. That's good. Um, anything else on, on this topic, guys? I, I, we could go on for hours, Ooh, I'm sure. Yeah. But anything that we want to yeah. highlight as we... I was just going to add real briefly. Yeah. Why, you know, why does it still matter today? And we've said that it's a historical event. We said that it is... The reality uh, and the fulfillment of Jesus Christ as who he said he was. Truly man, but truly God, defeating sin and death. That we now realize that Christ has not only been raised, but we will be raised with him in all of creation. But why does it matter to, you know... John or, or Sally, who's sitting in the pew, yeah. who's sitting in the pew and struggling with sin or struggling with sorrow or tragedy, and how do we look at the cross to really provide hope yeah. on the ground level? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question because uh, you know we often think of this question um, in an apologetics manner, you know, uh, trying to think of, you know, the historical, you know, facts. Defend the claim. Defend the claim. Yeah, Yeah, which is, you should. Uh, I think all Christians are required to, actually. Uh, You know, but then, uh, you know, so the apologetic side of it, but the the counseling side of it, the the interpersonal uh, and intrapersonal, even, um, reality of that. And I, I think the this uh, this to me almost blends kind of the two kind of the philosophical question of you know uh why if god is so good why is there evil in this world uh well sure there's evil in this world but the resurrection provides that answer yes there is evil in this world but it will be done away with Mm. 
There is a day it's not that forever. God has said yes. that he is going to abolish mm. all evil. There's an expiration date. Yes. <laughs> One of the few times that an expiration date yeah, is a good right. thing. Yes. That's true. Uh, but alongside of that is because we may have a little bit of comfort in that fact. Yes, there is going to be an end time for it. But the other side of that is, was there meaning to it along the way? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, there is an expiration to evil, but all of that evil that occurred up until that day had a purpose. Mm. It was God's purpose. Uh, you may or may not know that. That is his obligation to reveal. But there is a purpose, and it is good because he is good. And he's glorifying himself. And he's glorifying himself. Yeah. And we get to partake in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it says here, you know, again in Romans 8, it says that we uh, are going to be displaying that glory. Mm-hmm. What an incredible privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my wife actually, um, shout out to her. She's one of my, uh, uh, w- probably the way that I've grown the most uh, as a Christian is just in, in study and discussions with her. But she actually posed a great question. We were um, in Sunday school discussing really the reality of suffering and how we're not promised yeah. as Christians freedom from suffering and as we walked down this this discussion, it kind of got almost dim in some ways. Like, mm-hmm. well, what is our hope then? Yeah. And um, and it was a great question. And I I paused because this is you know this is really the question of why the resurrection still matters. What is our hope? And it just brought me um, to Christ on the cross. This is you know Luke uh, chapter twenty three. And Jesus Christ himself is being crucified between two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And the words that he says um, in this moment, I think, is what can be the hope for each one of us and why the resurrection is truly important no matter where we find ourselves um, in the Christian life. And one of the criminals says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him these words, and I also think he says these words in many ways to us um, in, our, in our suffering. He says, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. Want to know what our hope is? Why is the resurrection still important? Because those words ring true for every blood-bought Christian mm. who professes faith in Jesus. That there will be a day when he will say to us, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. Yep. I will be raised. You will be raised. This whole creation will be raised into a paradise that we, I don't even think, can comprehend no. at, at this moment. And we will be free of the mm-hmm. sin and the suffering that is a present reality mm-hmm. now. And we will be able to really um, feel the full glory and goodness and love of God yeah. in that and that's awesome. And I would answer your question with the way Paul ended Romans 8. Yeah. You know, yep. He says in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Hmm. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Amen. And the yeah. resurrection is how it happens. Yes. It's how it's promised to come to fruition. Ephesians 1.
What a great conversation, guys. And there's much more we could say, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> and uh, make sure you check out Shane's article, which is our featured article of the week, uh, Why the Resurrection Still Matters Today. But before we close, uh, Shane has a gospel nugs for us. So Shane, nugs. lay it on us. Here it is. So uh, I think we've some of us may be familiar with uh, Christ being the greater David. Uh, we might have heard the story of David and Goliath and how Christ is the greater David. Well, I'm going to go a little further down this path in 1 Samuel, and we're in actually 1 Samuel chapter 25, and I'm going to throw out my gospel nug, which is Christ is the greater Abigail. You won't find that bumper sticker or t-shirt <laughs> in too many places, uh, but I'm putting it out there anyways, and I'm going to just real quickly uh, walk through seven ways that uh, Abigail actually points us to Christ and his gospel. And so I'm not going to read all 42 uh, verses <laughs> of 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'm going to take it that you are going to just dive right in after you get done with this episode. Um, but this is a great story about a uh, foolish man uh, who um, makes some mistakes, a, a faithful mediator, Abigail, who intervenes on his behalf, um, and it all points us to uh, Jesus Christ, our future Messiah. And so in this story, Abigail does several things that point us to Christ. Um, Nabal, uh, her, her husband, has uh, done some foolish things with David uh, by not offering uh, some of his uh, sheared uh, sheep and some of his grain for him and his men. And Abigail does some things to stop uh, the judgment that David was about to bring. So first off, Abigail provides an offering, um, and much in the same way that Christ himself provides an offering for us. Her offering was bread and wine and a lamb. Uh, Christ's offering uh, was symbolized by bread and his broken body, wine and his shed blood, and he himself, the Lamb of God who sacrificed for us. The second way was Abigail sought to bear Nabal's iniquity. Uh, verse 24 actually uh, lays out how she asks uh, to take Nabal's iniquity in the same way that Christ himself bears our iniquity on the cross. Uh, point number three, Abigail asked for Nabal's forgiveness. She asked David in verse 28 to forgive him for his foolishness. Uh, Jesus too asks us to be forgiven. In fact, uh, on the cross, he actually looked at his greatest enemies and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Point number four, we're rolling along, is that David accepted Abigail as an intercessor. Verse 32 uh, sees him uh, view her as an intercessor between him and Nabal, much in the same way the father uh, accepts the son, Jesus Christ, as an intercessor. Uh, talks about... In 1 Timothy chapter 2, that there is one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, man, we're almost there. Point number five, Abigail turns away David's wrath in this story. David actually had 400 men with swords ready to pour down some judgment on Nabal. Uh, verse 34, he actually tells her that because of you, I am not going to kill Nabal and his whole household. Um, much in the same way. Jesus himself has turned away God's wrath, but actually he does it a little bit better. He didn't just temporarily turn it away. He actually took it upon himself and did away with it once and for all. 
Point number six, Abigail establishes peace between David and Nabal's household in the same way Christ establishes peace between us, making peace by the blood of his cross, as it says in Colossians chapter 1. The last one is perhaps my favorite. Uh, in verses 41 and 42, after Nabal has unfortunately died uh, and David has sent for Abigail to be his wife, uh, we actually find that before she is elevated to a position of honor as his wife, she says that she is going to wash the feet of the servants of David. And we can't help but see such a beautiful foreshadowing of Christ before he would be elevated to a position of honor sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He washes the feet of the servants of the Lord in a humble and sacrificial posture. And sure, Abigail does it, but Christ does it completely, fully, perfectly. And he is not just elevated uh, to an earthly position of honor, but uh, to a heavenly position of honor where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And so we see in 1 Samuel 25, really, Abigail as a type of Christ. And so check it out, 1 Samuel chapter 25, and you can uh, you know, tell all your friends that Christ is the greater Abigail. Amen. That was awesome. Good stuff, man. Well, this has been another episode of the Gospel Forum Podcast. And until next time, keep on reforming.